Welcome to BSD Talk number 202. It's Saturday, November 6, 2010. Here's another interview from Meet BSD California 2010. All right, we're here on day two of Meet BSD California, and I'm here with Matt Dillon from the Dragonfly BSD Project. Welcome back. Hello, thank you. And recently you had a new release. What we do we did. have? Uh, so we did our uh, Dragonfly 2.8 release. Uh, it's like two or three weeks late. Um, and it's got a ton of goodies in it. Um, we uh, integrated uh, Linux LVM, uh, most of it. We integrated, uh, I think, uh, NetBSD's uh, DM. Um, What's DM? Uh, that's uh, uh, Disk Manager, Storage Manager. Uh, it has uh, Striping and, and uh, Crypto Framework. Um, and uh, we did a whole lot of uh, MP work under the hood. Uh, we got our GUI USB uh, release image working again for this release, um, and uh, and stuff like that. A, a lot of stability work, a lot of under the hood work. Um, uh, for example, we removed the uh, select infrastructure in the kernel and replaced it with KQ. So so the uh, from the user side, you still have select and and uh, KQ and KVN and all that, but in the kernel, it's all KQ. Uh, which simplifies uh, quite a bit of the framework, makes it easier to debug stuff and, and get things working. Um, uh, Hammers had you know, there, you know, bug fixes across the board. Um, Hammer is really doing quite nicely. Um, we had a, a dedupe project for GSOC, uh, which didn't get into the release, but it's basically staged to go into the tree this uh, this week. Oh wow. Um, it's still marked. It'll still be experimental, but it's it's very cool. You get like um, uh, three to four, five to one, um, a dedupe on two of our you know big terabyte drives in tests. So it should be interesting. And will that dedupe before it gets sent across the wire to the slave PFS? Uh, no. Well, if you're mirroring, no. Um, the the dedupe is. Basically, what it does—it's it's a fairly efficient operation. It runs through the B tree. Hammer the Hammer file system is based on a B tree, so the CRCs are built into the B tree elements. It collects all the CRCs, finds the matches, and uh, and since they're only 32-bit CRCs, it does have to validate that the data blocks are actually identical. Uh, and then it just frees one and points the uh, the record, you know, to the other, and uh, it can do that for any number of matches. Um, up to you know tens of thousands uh, for any given block. I see. So because you're already doing sort of a, a background reblocking periodically, you just took advantage of that work to do dedupe. Well, the dedupe pass is separate. The reblocker is actually an issue. It's it's one of the reasons why it's still marked experimental. Um, the reblocker, if you tell it to reblock unconditionally, it will undedupe. <laughs> All of your hard dedupe work goes away. Uh, the normal reblocker will will work fine since the dedupe will uh, adjust a parameter in, in the uh, the block map that the reblocker will then skip that block. It won't try and reblock it. Um, so we have one of the things we have to do with dedupe is make the make the reblocker aware of it 
and have it not undo you know all that hard work. So it sounds like though we're going to have hammer volumes that locally will have some raid capabilities, LVM, and the ability to dedupe and then shipping things over the wire. It's quite a full featured set of utilities. Um, yeah, the LVM stuff, we don't have a soft RAID 5 yet. Um, I think we have mirroring. Uh, we certainly have striping. Um, the, the crypto framework is actually the most interesting piece. We've got three people uh, that have been working on that and, and are still working on it um, after the release. We uh, noticed that when we set up a crypt disk uh, and we're using software crypto, so you don't have any hardware acceleration on a particular box, six CPU boxes, only using one CPU. And so the disk throughput was horrible, you know, through the crypt file system because of that. Uh, I forget what it was exactly, but it was only, um, yeah, it, it wasn't very much. Uh, 30 or 40 megabytes a second on a four disk stripe, you know, that should have been able to do two or 300 megabytes a second. Um, so, uh, in this release, we also did some MP work on the open crypto in the kernel and made it MP aware. So we'll actually use however many CPUs are available uh, and uh, and do concurrent encryption at, on the disk at the disk layer. Uh, so we got I think we got the performance up well beyond 150 megabytes a second with that. Um, so that's actually pretty exciting. Um, one of our other guys is currently um, integrating. Uh, crypto options into the installer. Uh, again, that didn't make this release, but it's going into current now, and so that's kind of cool. Uh, our uh, our standard disk installs a two-partition install. We install a small slash boot, which is a uh, like a 700 megabyte UFS partition, and then the entire rest of the disk is hammer. And one of the big advantages of having that is that we can crypt the hammer partition. And we can, we can use very sophisticated root mounts because the boot partition is just that little UFS, you know, un- unencrypted, nothing special uh, boot partition. It can set very sophisticated stuff up for the uh, hammer root. And I think I remember reading a fair amount from you about swap cache. Work. Yes, yes. Um, swap cache was something we introduced in 2.6. Uh, we're running it on all but one of our machines, and the only reason that machine isn't running it is it's an Ecolo that we won't have access to until December. You know, getting someone physically there to, to slap in an SSD. Uh, it actually, um, it's, it was stable in 2.6. I haven't had to hack it up much. Um, in 2.8, uh, actually not the, not the release version itself, but in the 2.8 tree, uh, so if you update after you install the release, you'll get it. Uh, we have some uh, uh, VM adjustments uh, that uh, improve swap cache uh, a bit uh, and also improves the uh, low memory handling when the machines on a load. Uh, we noticed an issue a little too late at release time and we had to fix it after the release uh, where a heavily loaded machine, would, just the processes would stall and it turned out to be uh, the page out demon was waiting too long before it would start trying to restore memory. The hysteresis wasn't working right. So that's all fixed, and it makes a big difference. And how is Dragonfly doing on its march towards the eventual goal of having this clustered single-instant system? Well, we've um, it's still the goal, but um, we backed off the whole SSI concept. Uh, what we're going to do first is the, uh, the clustered network file system, multi-master, um, and the cache coherency. 
and we're not going to worry about the uh, the SSI stuff just yet. Uh, and I think it's it's uh, it's certainly a more uh, doable goal. Uh, and it really comes down to uh, this whole last year, a lot of our focus has been on MP work, uh, and I should really expand on that a bit. Um, the MP lock, the big giant lock, is mostly gone, but it's still enabled in the release uh, for safety purposes because we want a stable release. Uh, what we've done is uh, essentially the kernel split into front end that your user land system calls go into the front end, and the back end is uh, interrupts and device drivers and that sort of thing. Uh, nearly the entire back end is now MP safe. Doesn't touch the MP lock at all, uh, even in safe mode. Uh, for example, the network stack, all the network drivers, uh, the HCI disk driver, the entire uh, I.O. path all the way to user land uh, for the cache case is MP safe through Hammer. Um, the, uh, the front end is using our uh, token locks, and right now there's a safety mechanism in about half of those where it's still getting in the MP lock until we can prove out those, that those subsystems can operate on just the token. Uh, and so that, that work has gone very well, and just the removal of the MP lock from most of the back end uh, has increased performance significantly. People have reported, in particular, X, uh, running XORG, uh, their desktops are a lot faster uh, because it's no longer single threading. Um, well, X itself is, but it's no longer stalling other things going on in the system. I think a couple of releases ago, you did some NFS work, and I guess it's had some time to mature. Mm-hmm. Not had, have you had to do much to it, or is it just uh, a long We've fine? done um, mostly bug fixing. In fact, uh, there, there were some stall issues even going into the release, uh, which have been fixed, uh, all but one. Uh, we're still trying to track that down. The, the reason it's an issue is that our NFS uh, implementation on the client side is uh, is completely asynchronous now. The RPCs are completely asynchronous. You don't have the whole you know the NFS IOD stuff on other VCs doesn't exist anymore. Not even as kernel threads. Uh, and instead, in what Dragonfly does is it dedicates one kernel thread, uh, two kernel threads for each NFS connection, uh, each NFS socket, one for transmitting and one for receiving, and they operate uh, essentially asynchronously. That has allowed us to increase the default read-ahead a lot. Uh, I think it's defaulting upwards of, uh, well, 16 to 64. I forget what the default is, but it's a lot now. Um, And uh, that actually created some of these stall issues, these uh, side cases where if you drop the read-ahead down, it doesn't happen, but you increase it, uh, there's still an issue or two there. Uh, performance is very good, though, and our NFS has been performing very, very well uh, ever since the 2.6 release. Great. Well, I, I look forward to trying trying the latest release. I know it just came out. Uh, it's, it's been a little bit since I've done a, a recent version, but uh, Hammer has been really interesting to me, and uh, I've been setting up virtual machines and, and shipping things back and forth <laughs> and, and just trying to get a sense of the, of the user land tools. So Yeah. Oh, that's right. You know, I keep, uh, we actually have a lot of bullets in this release, uh, a lot of release notes. Uh, another uh, hammer item for this release is we've got a catastrophic recovery tool now built into the hammer utility. It's not an FSIC, that is, it can't restore the file system in place, uh, but it can uh, recover a, a broken hammer file system uh, to another drive, and it's very, very cool the way it works. It just it, it requires almost no uh, knowledge of the topology, uh, 
uh, on the source drive. It just does a linear scan of the disk. It looks for things that look like B-tree nodes. It extracts the data, the files, the uh, directory entries, and it rebuilds the file system on the target uh, drive on the fly. So you can actually see it as it's restoring files and as it's figuring out how files should be named and where they should be in the directory hierarchy. Um, it's, uh, it's a neat utility. Could you describe some of the situations that would cause you to need that? Well, the reason we wound up writing it was because we had one user who wound up with uh, read errors on his disk. And, uh, you know, he had, uh, most of them were in his swap area, but he had a, a dozen or two that were right smack in the middle of the hammer file system, and he wanted to recover it, get that information onto a new disk. He hadn't been doing backups. Um, which he should have because it's really easy to do with Hammer. But, you know, that said and done, I looked at it and I said, well, wait a second. You know, I can't, I've been trying to do an, a Hammer FSIC for two years and it's just too complex. It's impossible to do. But a catastrophic recovery tool it turned out to be very easy. I was able to write it in just a day or two. Um, and so uh, we really, uh, initially we did it and we tested it with this user with the broken sectors. Um, and uh, he was able to recover 99% of his file system. That's great. Yeah. Um, so uh, the uh, I mentioned Hammer as a pull. It, it tracks people to Dragonfly. A swap cache is something that still a lot of people don't quite understand. You know, uh, and it turns out to be a very big deal. I mean, it's the reason that we can run production servers with just one hard drive, one hard drive and one SSD. Uh, is because of swap cache. It offloads the hard drive so much uh, that it's uh, it's a money saver, despite the fact that you're sticking in an ex- you know fairly expensive SSD. And the SSD doesn't even have to be that large. Uh, you know, the low forty gig Intel's like one hundred twenty bucks, something like that. Plenty good enough uh, to realize major uh, performance improvements uh, on your main hard drive. And I read recently that you've got some Google Code-In stuff happening. What, what's that whole Google Code-In uh, The Google project? Code-In stuff, I'm actually not involving myself in because I'm a little burnt out from mentoring the GSOC. Um, but, yeah, we've got, um, uh, we've got like three or four uh, developers that are heading that up. So I can't really tell you much about it because <laughs> I've been kind of laid back and, uh, and, and, and uh, decompressing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think we're. I'm hearing yes, some stuff going on out there. The so room, so we we'll, should probably get back. Yeah, we'll get back to the conference. And thanks for taking a few minutes to update us on Dragonfly BSD. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's b-i-t-g-e-i-s-t at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number two hundred and two.